0: Hi, I'm Anna, and I'm speaking from Singapore, and you're listening to Woman Unbounded's first ever podcast.
1: People are protesting
0: violence
2: against women after a recent series of brutal rapes and murders of young women. That
1: will be one of about 50 marches. The message is clear. They are not victims, they are not helpless, and that united, their power is enough. Hi,
3: I'm Nada from Egypt. I'm Halima. I'm speaking from the UK. My name is Apolline Louvert. I'm
1: Iwana.
4: Anis. I'm Rani. Bahloor Ali here. I'm currently in Lahore, Pakistan. I'm
1: French, Russian, and Swiss. I am a Malaysian speaking from Indonesia. Hi,
0: I'm Anna, and I'm speaking from Singapore, and you're listening to the first ever Woman Unbounded podcast. So we're a intersectional feminist organization based in Singapore with the aim of Women's Empowerment, and we are entirely volunteer-run. The episode that you're currently listening to is our Global and Social Protests collection. For this collection, we gathered women from all around the world, and over 20 women have come together to talk about what's been happening in their countries this year. As we know, 2020 has been difficult for many, many people around the world, but it has especially impacted the lives of women. This collection goes into the details of five protests that happened earlier this year and it discusses the impact that protests and social movements have had on women or protests and social movements that women have been at the forefront of. Today we've got speaking Jesse covering Punjab, Mina speaking about Turkey, Paul on Thailand, Manur is speaking about Pakistan and Paula on Spain. All of this has been put together and produced by our incredible sound designer Annalise Auker. It's best heard with your earphones on and tucked under your duvet. Happy listening.
1: in different cities
2: across Spain. Thousands are protesting in the streets of Spain following a ruling that acquitted five men of raping a woman during a bull running festival.
5: Women across Spain are taking part in what's being described as the nation's first ever 24 hour feminist strike. Hello, my name is Paula Colalonso. I'm half German, half Spanish, and I'm currently working as a research assistant at IE School of Global and Public Affairs in Madrid, Spain. The movement I'm covering is called the Manada movement in Spain, which started in 2016 after the gang rape of a young girl by Five Guys, which increased to becoming one of the biggest feminist movements in Europe um, that was asking for legal changes in the way violation and gender-based violence cases are handled in the country. As with many other movements, the wave of hashtag MeToo was really bringing light to the injustices that many women face when it comes to sort of everyday landscapes. So at work, at home, or in the case of the Manada movement, on the street. Um, The feminist movement was rising in scale and importance um, also throughout Europe um, during this time after, like I said, the MeToo movement. Um, and so i think when the verdict of the manada group rape sort of hit spain the injustices of this so-called legal resolution the movement just really exploded it was neither precipitated nor was it particularly planned yet as with many other social movements there had been sort of a cinder present that had been glowing in the ashes for a while and this was sort of the radical impulse the gasoline so to say that was really needed to inflame Enrage rage and sort of burn the movement into a fire, a blaze, a dynamism that really created the needed intensity and force to create change. At the beginning, the main goal really was just to overturn this unfair verdict, which turned into a desire to change the unfair legislation, which only sees rape as such when there's a form of intimidation or aggression involved. But I think that again, there was an underlying goal of the movement to sort of have female voices heard in all spaces where decisions are being made. So to change the social stigma of violence against women as well, shaming the woman for how she acted. How she was dressed what her alcohol intake had been so while the overall goal really was to achieve a change in the verdict and legislation the underlying goal was to reach a comprehensive change in our social norms in the way that we view women as a matter of fact as i discuss in the article there really has been a bill that's been approved by the socialist government of spain to qualify all non-consensual sex as rape i mean this now has to go through parliament But now they're no longer. If it if it's successful, there no longer is a need to show that intimidation was involved, or any kind of physical resistance from women. So I think that that is a landmark change. However, there are definitely other changes that haven't happened yet. Um, And as we're seeing in many parts of Europe, the shift to sort of a radical right and through radical conservatism is halting these advancements. Um, however, I do think that we need to highlight some of the progress that we've made, especially in the Manada case.
3: Last month, the Spanish Supreme Court overturned that ruling, deciding it was sexual assault and that the men were rapists. Their sentences were increased from nine to 15 years. Spain is currently undergoing its own Me Too movement, with supporters arguing that the current sexual assault laws are discriminatory.
5: You know, there are women um, like Beatriz Jimeno, who's the director of the Ministry of Equality um, from the party of Podemos, that actually proposed this bill um, to the government. Um, then there are journalists like Iranzu Varela, politicians like Maria Andres. But I think especially in this case, the apart from sort of the survivor of, of all this injustice, um, the woman who was um, in court, I think it really was just a movement that was more about every single woman and all the injustices we have faced. Um, So I think instead of having one or two faces and leaders, it was more about our collective expression of injustice, of exhaustion more than anything with the unfair and patriarchal, um, especially legal system that we continuously face. I think the beauty of protests is their usual sort of spontaneity and intensity. That's to say, of course, that there are planned protests such as the 8th of March march. Um, But then there are movements such as sort of the BLM protests, the Arab Spring, the Manada case, for example, that just sort of spring up from one event or action that is so radically unjust and that captures the emotions and sort of the side guys of the people who have been suppressed, oppressed, repressed for so long and in which they really identify their calls for change. And I think that's why protests are so important. They sort of mirror how society feels at a certain moment in time. They mirror our crux of democracy, the voice that people always need and always have and will always use. But most importantly, I think they really mirror the actual little power that the establishment genuinely has when masses join together and fight for justice or equality.
1: Hashtag accepted. Hmm. Hashtag, challenge accepted
3: My name is Mina I'm from Istanbul Turkey and I'm covering the challenge accepted protest that took place in July 2020 Turkey people are protesting violence against women after a recent series of brutal rapes and murders of young
2: women. Turkish police have fired tear gas to break up a crowd of several thousand women who'd gathered to mark International Women's Day in Istanbul.
3: So the protest emerged as a result of the increasing number of femicides and gender-based violence. And for the protest, women from all around the world shared black and white photos of themselves with the hashtag challenge accepted and tagged other friends to participate as well. And this was an homage to the black and white tribute photos that usually circulate the internet the day after a femicide. Femicides and gender-based violence, sadly, are not a new problem in Turkey. But with COVID-19 related restrictions, they got so much worse. And the protests mainly arose in July because of the increasing numbers, but also because some ultra-conservatives in Turkey announced that they wanted Turkey to pull out of a convention. So this was the Istanbul Convention, a human rights treaty um, written by the Council of Europe against violence against women and domestic violence. And this was open for signature in May
1: 2011 in Istanbul. The Istanbul Convention is an international agreement aimed at stopping violence against women. In an effort to please his conservative supporters, the Turkish President Recep Tayyip Erdogan may pull out of it.
3: The main goals of
1: the challenge-accepted protests
3: were for Turkey to value women's rights and not pull out of the convention, but also for a law called Law 6284 to be actually applied. So this is a law to protect family and prevent violence against women and even though it's in the legislation, it is not always 100% applied. Following the post going viral and the global scale that the protest rose to, Turkey did not actually pull out of the convention. However, there have been talks of a modification in order to omit some clauses on LGBTQ rights. This is obviously only a small win for women's rights because since the summer, more and more women have been killed and not a lot of concrete steps have been taken by the government.
6: The reported number of female murder victims has risen more than tenfold since Erdogan became prime minister. Women say the government doesn't protect women, but does try to control them.
1: The clothes I wear, if and when I get married, the number of children I have, How I give birth. The government is against cesareans. The state is gradually denying women the right to make their own decisions.
3: One of the most inspirational leaders of the women's rights movement in Turkey is definitely Gülsüm Kav. She is a doctor and she's the co-founder of the We Will Stop Femicides platform. And she's recently been named as one of the BBC's 100 Women of the Year for her efforts. Today our wills turn in Mars, but even before discovering the will we discovered misogyny and sadly it is still a widespread prison for women, from the buses of Tarsus to the spotlights of Hollywood and the Turkish metropolises. The We Will Stop Femicides platform, as well as organizing protests and campaigns, also provides information on new cases and also um, joins the court process for a number of cases and informs the public on what's going on even though it has not resulted in a complete protection and acknowledgement of women's rights in turkey the protests have led to many around the globe being aware of what is happening to women in turkey
6: There's a new generation of protesters in Thailand and are daring to go where few others have.
0: Thailand's king is facing his biggest challenge since ascending to the throne four years ago.
6: Started by student groups at the beginning of the year, the protests swelled in July and have been growing ever since. They refined their demands to three. That Prime Minister Prayot Chenot shall resign, a new constitution be drafted, and the powerful monarchy reform. Hi, I'm Paul from Thailand and I'm going to talk about the women's movement that is happening here right now as part of a broader pro-democracy movement.
3: If I'm arrested,
0: I won't ask for bail because that would prevent me from talking about politics. I'd rather spend a few years in prison and come out swinging.
6: The current women's movement in Thailand is happening as part of the pro-democracy movement which has gained incredible momentum this year. Generally speaking, the pro-democracy movement is calling for three things, including the resignation of the military-backed prime minister, the amendment of the constitutions, and the curbs on the crown's powers. For the past few months, the movement has been able to organize large-scale rallies on the streets of Bangkok and in other major cities throughout the country, with support from other groups such as the students, the LGBTQI+, and of course the women's movement. Each group supports the goals of the pro-democracy movement, but at the same time, they are also pushing forward their own agenda in these demonstrations as well maybe a newcomer on the scene she took center stage at the rally at Samza University on August 10th by reading out a 10-point demand.
0: I've mixed feelings. I'm glad that I've started a conversation. I think that I'm playing a crucial role in this movement, but at the same time I feel bad because we've been suppressed for far too long and many people have been too afraid to speak up.
6: For the women's movement more specifically, their goals align with the three demands of the pro-democracy movement in that they're hoping to dismantle the patriarchy embedded in the country, especially through the military and the crown. They're advocating for changes that are specific to human as well, such as the amendments to the law regarding abortion a lower tax on menstrual products and a more serious attitude towards sexual harassment among the general public.
5: We will continue to fight until we win. Don't think we'll get tired, we never will, we will only get angrier and angrier.
6: This time around, the women's movement has gained more traction compared to the past movements. For example, the Me Too movement which didn't kick off here the way it did in many countries. It is quite encouraging to see that more people are joining or supporting the movement and that it has received attention from the media, which is so important these days.
1: According to a report released by the UN, Pakistan is considered the sixth most dangerous country in the world for women. This is why we march. They are not victims, they are not helpless, and that united, their power
4: is enough. Hey, Mahnoor Ali here. I'm currently in Lahore, Pakistan, where I'm working in an NGO. Um, the movement I'm covering is the Orit March, which translates to Women's March in Urdu. It's a three year long ongoing demonstration that's working to bring about political and social action on women's rights and gender justice I in the country. Tracing the trajectory of the feminist movement in Pakistan would have us go all the way to pre-partition times. Additionally, the country has experienced major Islamization in the 80s, which led to a construction of a confused system that institutionalized discrimination towards women and minorities. And women have been fighting against this. But in 2018, a few feminist collectives and women decided to rally on International Women's Day as the country never really celebrated the day within the public sphere and whatever had been celebrated was very superficial. The movement has taken off and is more than a yearly protest. Pakistan has seen increased cases of domestic violence, honor killings, rape, forced child marriages, and attacks on the transgender community where the victims are either getting no justice or being blamed for what has happened. And we've all had enough. Now we march throughout the year and we won't stop till change occurs. While this isn't the first time that women have attempted to reclaim public spaces in Pakistan, it is arguably one of the loudest and boldest cries of frustration that a collective of women have let out here. The backlash is not as important as the message itself because the march being broadcasted to women all over the country in rural regions and everywhere where people don't have rights, it's important for them to see that are, there is this group of women that are actually coming out of their homes and marching and perhaps they wish to participate in it in the future. The movement actually has a lot of goals and demands ranging from agricultural to economic to political. Um, a few that I can name are a total and immediate end to violence against women, non-binary individuals, and sexual minorities both offline and online, um, inclusion of differently abled people, equal access to and protection in public spaces for transgender people, equal access to quality reproductive and sexual health services,
1: This year's manifesto called for an end to economic violence that emphasized the gender wage gap, a basic living wage. It called for the recognition of women's unpaid labor to the care economy, the demand for the prevention of sexual violence, for the right of consent and choice over women's bodies and the right to choose how many babies women want, the demand for environmental justice and access to clean air for all, It also advocated for police reform, equal access to institutions for sexual and gender minorities and people with disabilities, the condemnation of war, safety for all religious minorities, and democratic rights.
4: I think a major development in the movement is purely the amount of attention it's been getting, whether it's from the media, whether it's from individuals, it's a major thing, because being able to march itself is a development. There have been petitions that have been filed by people to stop the march, but fortunately, they've been rejected on the grounds that freedom of expression cannot be banned. The movement is constantly bombarded with threats of violence and retaliation. However, we persevere and continue. Um, in major development, Pakistan's parliament passed a law guaranteeing um basic rights for transgender citizens and outlawing any kind of discrimination from employers um the law grants individuals the right to self-identify as male female or a blend of genders and have that identity registered on all official documents including passports driver's license national identity cards i believe the movement's built an inclusive and intersectional environment that we have not had before Take Dad, that, the founder of Digital Rights Foundation, and one of the organizers of the March in Lahore, she's made it clear that the agenda of the movement is to demand resources and dignity for women, for the transgender community, for religious minorities, and for those on the economic margins, but more importantly, she acknowledges that women's emancipation is inherently linked with the improvement of all mistreated groups and minorities. Another major entity is Hina Jelani, a senior lawyer and human rights activist. She's famously known to challenge the norms in any male-dominated space, and she's led countless talks and rallies for women's rights and has successfully challenged every motion to stop the Aurat march. An individual that can't be forgotten in regards to all this, I would say, is the actress Kandil Baloch. No one shook the patriarchy using digital media in Pakistan more than her. Um, Kandil can be seen as the reason why there is a march in the first place, actually. Um, She was forced into a marriage that she didn't want and left Multan to seek stardom and managed to build an audience on social media where she spoke about her rights as a Pakistani woman and covered various controversial issues. And for that, she was murdered by her own brother. She was supposedly killed out of honor, but in reality, it was for speaking out against the norm. Her death triggered outrage across the nation, and instigated a major part of the movement. Process are very important. As important as voting, I would say. Um, They create an inclusive discourse, showing people that they're not alone and they have support. Um, They put topics that you may have been ignorant about previously into focus and the admission of that ignorance is necessary for intellectual development. So either way you're learning something and you're winning. Um, They start conversations. In Pakistan matters of the body and sexuality were only talked about in private conversations but because we protest now the media has no choice to talk about it and people are having these conversations in their living rooms. Yes, we may be called vulgar opportunists or whatever it may be, but we're getting attention. Something's happening.
1: Tens of thousands of Indian farmers have camped along highways outside New Delhi's borders, braving the cold temperatures and the risk of coronavirus to protest controversial agriculture reform.
0: Farmers say three new agricultural laws passed in September could make them worse off. The government says the farmers are wrong.
2: Historically, women has been typecast as housewives instead of actual workers, when in truth, about 75% of rural women in India work full-time as farmers. Hi, this is Jessie. I'm reporting out of Singapore, and I'm going to be covering the farmers' protests happening in India right now also known as the Kisan protests. At the moment it's been pegged as one of the biggest protests in history starting in the state of Punjab as well as Haryana and for the first two months there were protests within those states as farmers noticed much was not happening they decided to go to Delhi and therefore the slogan was born and the actual movement was born called Chalo, which is loosely translated to, let's go to Delhi.
1: Prime Minister Narendra Modi says the new laws are necessary to deregulate and modernize India's agriculture sector, which is the primary source of income for 58% of Indians. But farmers say they were not consulted when the reforms were pushed through and worry the changes will make them vulnerable to exploitation from large corporations.
2: The farmers across India are responding to three bills that have been recently passed a few months ago. And what these Bills are going to do our site well they're cited as anti-farmer laws and they'll leave a lot of the farmers at the mercy of big corporations. They'll loosen rules on sale, pricing, storage, farm produce and leave farmers um, vulnerable to many rules that protected them from the free market. This means that marginalized farmers and smaller farmers are highly at risk from essentially dying out.
0: Give us the gift that we want, and what they want is legal guarantee to back minimum support price, remunerative assured price. That's what the farmers want, turn it into a legal guarantee.
2: Why doesn't the government do it? On the 26th of November, a nationwide general strike that basically involved around 250 million people took place, supporting the farmers, according to the trade unions that actually organized the protest. Now. If these numbers are to be accurate, you're talking about the biggest protest in history. And roughly around 200,000 and 300,000 farmers were also converging at various border points on the way to Delhi. People will have to keep in mind that this isn't also about economic livelihood. There are very, very cultural identities being threatened at the moment. Punjab, for instance, a historical trade is intertwined with the very identity that Punjabis hold. Regarding the women who are in the movement, historically women has been typecast as housewives instead of actual workers, when in truth about 75% of rural women in India work full-time as farmers. Because men are increasingly migrating to work in factories, construction sites, in cities. But for some reason, farming is still widely seen as men's work. And this demonstrates itself in the fact that 13% of women own the land that they till. And globally, about 400 million women farm and only 15% of farmland is owned by women. With that in mind, About 15,000 women farmers from across Punjab and Haryana have actually made their way to Delhi and are also protesting.
3: Pratinder Virkaur has worked tirelessly at a free kitchen to feed the protesting farmers. She sees the blockade as an opportunity. She wants to teach her young daughters what it means to fight for their rights.
2: We've come
1: here to show our kids how to protest, to struggle, When they grow up, they should know we are farmers. It is our
2: duty. Unfortunately, there's a very massive lack of visual representation of these women, which is quite problematic in the fact that these women aren't being seen. Largely, a lot of the media are showing the faces of older men, which is wonderful in its own right and super impactful as well, because it demonstrates the power of the elderly, but, Women are starting to protest that they themselves are being invisible and left behind in a shared protest in a shared struggle especially considering the fact that they work just as hard 15 hours a day but are also landless due to patriarchal structures known as silent or hidden farmers and yet not included in the voices of the movement. Additionally, they've also been cooking and feeding the whole movement of the protests one that definitely couldn't have happened if the women were not there. So they are massive enablers which is something that's always been undervalued across industries Many of the women that have stayed behind in Punjab to tend the farms, which is another aspect that's not really spoken about, are enabling men to continue the protest in Delhi. What's also added to that is that a lot of these women have also pursued women-led protests in cities like Batinda, Ludhiana, and Punjab, and 14 other districts. So women are at the forefront of this protest, but their visual representation is lacking severely, which is a shame. But they play a huge integral role to this movement's vitality. More than 2,000 recently actually just shipped in to the Singhu border. And I also like you to join the demonstration in the coming days. As of now, the Kisan protests aren't resolved simply for the fact that their meeting on december 4th with the delhi central government didn't go smoothly their demands weren't met and now they're gearing up for at least three more months of protesting the fact of the matter is the protest can't be ignored and the bjb definitely cannot put it to the side 70 percent of india's population are farmers and 82 percent of that 70 percent are small farmers, which is the target group of these bills. We can definitely foresee this movement going forward so long as the farmers are unsatisfied with the demands that are not being met.
5: If you enjoyed what you just heard and want to access some more incredible content, you can check out Women Unbounded on Instagram, that is at woman.unbounded, or chuck in womanunbounded.com into your browser and enjoy.